Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. Your Bibles to the book of Acts, the second chapter. We're talking about the fact that Jesus Christ is Lord. And we broke our topic down in four basic divisions. Number one being Adam was made Lord. Number two, Satan made Lord. Number three, Jesus made Lord. And number four, who is your Lord? In the second chapter of the book of Acts, we find out in verse 36, which is one of our three texts for the seminar, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made, God hath made, God hath made that same Jesus, whom ye crucified, both Lord and Christ. And we said the word Lord there means he's supreme in authority. And then in the book of Philippians, the second chapter, we found... And reading verses 9 through 11. Wherefore, God highly exalted him. That's because of the fact that he humbled himself. He became a man. He left his first estate in the bosom of the Father. He took upon himself the form of a man, a robe of flesh. And because of his act of humility, we're told that the Father God highly exalted him and hath given unto him a name above every other name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow of things or beings in heaven, things and beings in earth, things or beings under the earth. And every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And then in the book of 1 Timothy, chapter 6, we said in verse 15... which in his times he shall show who is the blessed and only potentate, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You better believe he's going to have fun when he does that. You imagine all of what he went through and all that he did for us. And you know, the love of God is very unselfish. And if you stop and think about it, he has waited all this time. All this time he's waited. I mean, you know, they mocked him on the cross and they said, well, if you be the Son of God, come on down from that cross and we'll believe that you're the Messiah. And he couldn't do that. Because if he did, he would have not fulfilled that which the Father wanted him to do. And so he just stood there very on that cross, stayed there, and did not call upon the angels, did not call upon supernatural powers, but he stayed there and humbled himself unto the death of the cross. But imagine... With all them mocking him, with all them laughing at him, with all them doing all that they did to him. I mean, you know, just the human flesh just wants to retaliate, you know, get revenge or prove that you are somebody. But Jesus is waiting until his time. You talk about being patient and enduring long. Well, one day he's going to split them clouds. And one day he's going to touch down on the Mount of Olives. And everybody's going to know that Jesus Christ is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he is the Messiah. 
He's going to show them. Thank God for that day. Think about that day. Not what it means to us, but what it means to Him. Because of all that He did for us. Well, in our study, we said we had four basic divisions. And we also had four questions that we wanted to answer. And we also said there were four thoughts that we need to know and understand if we're going to understand the Bible or any preaching or teaching or subject of the Bible. Number one being God's initial will or intent from the beginning. And we found out that his initial will in the beginning was that Adam be made Lord. Adam be made Lord over all the earth. Every creeping thing and every seeding seed that's living on the earth. It answers the question, why are we here? Why are we here? Well, that's why we're here. We're here because God wanted man to be the ruler over all the works of his hands, over all the earth. If you just stop and think about that just for a minute. Think about what it would be like to live on this earth. And I'm not talking about just knowing and understanding that we have that kind of ability and power. I'm talking about never falling from that first estate to where Adam lived on this earth and everybody that was born after him just ruled the earth and reigned the earth. Spoke to the animals, they obeyed. They did what he said. And just ruled and reigned over all the earth. Every creeping thing that creepeth on the earth, every seeding seed that's living on the earth, just walking in that dominion, walking in that power. No sickness, no disease, no death, no sin, no poverty, no worry, no fear, no anxiety. None of these things that we're confronted with day in and day out. Just not here. Gone. That was God's intention from the beginning. Well, you know the story. We found out in number two, our second division, we found out that Satan was made Lord. It answers the question, why is the world like it is today? And we found out that the God of this world is Satan. We gave you many scriptures on that. 2 Corinthians 4, 4, Ephesians 6 and 12, and Ephesians 2 and 2, which declares that he is the God of this world. And Jesus even said in John 14, 30, that he is the prince of this world. We also found out that sin entered into the world. And death by sin... Where there was no sin into the world, there was no death into the world, but it entered into the world because of the seed that was produced in the heart of Adam when Satan beguiled Eve and he committed high treason. And so we answer that question, why is the world like it is today? That's why it's like it is today. Because Satan did a, did a work in the heart of, of, of Adam and the earth was cursed, the veg, vegetable you know, kingdom was cursed, the animal kingdom was cursed, a uh, woman bringing forth her children... Sorrow and travail was put upon her because the seed that she's supposed to be reproducing is supposed to be godly seed, but now it's not going to be godly seed. And everything's just in a mess, in a turmoil. Because of the fact sin entered into the world. Now that was Satan's work in the heart of man. Our third division, which we did not finish last night, I thought we would, but we didn't, is Jesus made Lord. Jesus made Lord. Our scriptural text here in Acts 2.36 said... How God made Jesus both Lord and Christ. See, God had to make him Lord and Christ. And we said that there are three subdivisions under that third division, Jesus being made Lord. And it answers the question, what has God done for me? A lot of people are walking around the earth today and they're saying, you know, well, when God does something for me, then I'm, you know, going to worship him and thank him and praise him. They'll say, I don't see any need to praise God today, but he's never done anything for me. You know, what has he done for me? And when they say that, you just realize that they don't understand spiritual things. They don't understand 
uh, the depths God went for us through Jesus Christ to redeem us and bring us back and reestablish His will on the earth. So we find out, we answer the question, what has God done for me when we find out that Jesus was made Lord? We also find out how God reestablished His will in the earth. Now, if you stop and think about what I just said, God reestablishing His will in your life on the earth, no, that's not going to change the whole earth, but it'll change your life. It'll change your circumstances. It'll change the environment that you live in. It'll make you be a person that could walk in God's perfect will on the earth. Jesus says, I didn't come down to this world to do my own will. I came down to do the will of Him that sent me. He, come, he sent me down here to do His will, and I'm going to do it. I didn't enter into this world to live for myself. I entered into this world to live for the Father. And He did just that. And as we see through these here steps that He took, He was actually made Lord. Well, the first subdivision we had was Jesus humbled Himself or his humility, he humbled himself to leave the glory world and to partake of flesh and blood. And when we realize the extent and the depths that he went to to do this, I don't think the natural mind can grasp or understand the depths of that. He left the glory world. He humbled himself to leave that glory world, to give up the life of the Father so he can take on a life of flesh, so he can become sin, so he can go into hell and, and be our substitute and sacrifice, take Adam's place in hell, pay the full price, and then be raised up. So what he really did was he humbled himself by denying his first estate, leaving that first life, coming down here and living this life on the earth, giving his life for many. Remember he said in John... 15:13. greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. But we talked about the depths of that, you know, last evening. And we saw just how terrible his death was, just how terrible the price was that he had to pay. And you ask yourself the question, now why in the world would somebody want to leave the glory world, especially somebody called God? Now remember, he had to be an incarnation. Remember that we said that an incarnation or an incarnate one would be one that was a spirit being in the spirit world, not a disembodied spirit, but a spirit being would leave that glory world, leave that first estate and take on humanity or take on the robe of flesh. The second person of the Trinity, we found out in the beginning was God, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things are made by Him, and without Him there's not anything made that was made. And it went on to say that the Word became flesh. Or the second person of the Trinity, or the Godhead, became flesh. And he called himself Jesus. He was named Jesus. So we find out that he is an incarnation. We found out that he came to give his life for a ransom for many. And John said it this way. He said, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And so we find out that in his humility, he held himself all the way to hell. All the way to the lowest regions of the damned. Just for you and just for me. And the natural mind, as I said, just can't grasp or understand that. But he did it. He partook of his own handiwork. He humbled himself and limited himself by walking on this own creation, his own creation. He that created all things began to walk on his own creation. If you think about it, as I said, you can only understand it in your heart. Well, we saw the next division or subdivision was after his humbling himself, it was his actual victory. These are the steps that were took when Jesus was made Lord. His actual victory. And we said that there was really a threefold victory. First of all, as a man, he would overcome Satan. As a man. And remember over there when he was tempted in the wilderness? 
And the devil came to him and tempted him in three realms of life. And Jesus withstood him with the word and said, It is written, it is written, it is written. As a man, he overcame him. As Ad when Adam fell and didn't overcome the devil, but as a man, Jesus did not fail. He overcame him as a man. He was victorious over him as a man. Secondly, we said he had to overcome death and abolish death. And you remember over there in Hebrews, the second chapter, verse 14 and 15, where the children are partakers of flesh and blood, and Jesus himself partook of the same, that's flesh and blood, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. He was going to destroy the works of the devil, and he was going to destroy the devil by his death, through his death. Now we find out that through his death, he was able to destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. And we find out in Luke's Gospel, 11 chapter, verse 21, Jesus said that when a strong man keepeth his palace, he keepeth his goods, he's, he's in his palace, he keeps all his goods, he says everything's intact. He says, but when a stronger than he comes into his own palace and overtakes him and overcomes him and destroys him and defeats him, then he'll divide the spoils. Well, Jesus left heaven to come to the earth. And when he became sin, he left the earth and he went to hell. Legally went into hell because he became sin for us who knew no sin. God had made him to be sin for us. So as we see the steps right on down to the line, we find out God had made him a man. He became flesh. We find out God had made him to be sin for us. God had made him to be a sacrifice for us, the sacrifice lamb. And becoming sin for us, God had made him to, God had laid on him the iniquity of us all, Isaiah 53. And when he shall see the travail of his soul, then shall he be satisfied. And so we found out that last step was after Jesus had satisfied the claims of justice against man. The Father God said it is enough. Man is justified. Jesus was justified in spirit. He was quickened there in spirit. He was born out of death. And that last phase we said Jesus actually in right in, in Satan's domain... In the open, you know, openness of their faces and all their faces right there, Jesus went over to the devil. He stripped the devil of all his authority. He took it off, all the goods wherein he trusted, and he divided the spoils. But Jesus stripped him right there. And as I said before, when somebody goes through what he went through for you and for me, you better believe that it was a sweet revenge for him to walk over to him that destroyed God's creation. Now, remember, Jesus, the Word, was the one that created all things. All things were created by Him. Without Him was there not anything made that was made. Can you imagine what, how the Father took that when He saw that all His creation, all His handiwork, and further than that, His own people, His own children, were destroyed because of this enemy. But blessed be God, when Jesus was down there and, and quickened in spirit, He walked over to the devil and stripped him naked and ashamed. As Satan left... Adam, naked and ashamed before the presence of the Father. So Jesus left Satan naked and ashamed before all his cohorts. Over there in Colossians 2.15, we found it out, where he said he made a show of him openly, triumphing over him in it. Well, we talked about all that. He raised up from the dead. The last phase of this we find out is he actually went into the heavenly holies of holies. He there offered up his blood as a sacrifice. And... Uh, the Father accepted it, established a new covenant in His blood, and we found out that man was justified. Man was legally able to be born again. He broke Satan's lordship over man. Now he said we stopped here and we did not finish his actual crowning as Lord. 
Now, if you'd stop to think about all of what we just said, and you stop to realize in your heart all that Jesus did, and you stop to try to imagine in your spirit if you can. I did today. Laying on the bed over there and I said, Can you imagine leaving this body, coming out of this body, and knowing that you're going to hell? I, I, I don't want to think that. I don't even want to begin to imagine that. But over there in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus knew it. He knew what he had to do. He knew he had to become sin. He knew he had to suffer the consequences of that sin nature of Adam. He had to go all the way. He said, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will be done, let your will be done. And he said, stop and think about it. I've thought about it. Especially sometimes when you get, like, like our brother said, you get caught up in his spirit. And it's almost like as though you could just come out of this body. Can you imagine coming out of this body and going to an eternal resting place in hell? What do you got to look forward to? The lake of fire and brimstone that burneth forever and ever. But Jesus had to look to that. And he knew he was going there. He knew he had to pay that supreme price. But he said, my people are worth it. Greater love hath no man in this. My people are worth it. I'll do it for him, Father. I'll do it. Can you imagine when the Father forsook him and Jesus cried out on Calvary and he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This Holy One has never tasted sin. Has now become the sin of the world. And there he is. You say, what was he crowned with? Not honor and glory. He was crowned with thorns. If thou be the Christ, if thou be the Son of God, if thou be the Messiah, come down and prove yourself. And they planted a crown of thorns on his head. Yeah, they robed him. They beat him. They mocked him. That was his reward. That's how man rewarded him for coming to the earth. And do you think that his entrance into hell was any less? No. When he went down there, I'll tell you what, they wanted to destroy him so bad. Now, you remember, he was the one that, that walked on the earth and destroyed Satan's kingdom on the earth. Satan had no power over him. He was the one that healed the sick and raised the dead. And when they got him down there, just as much as they hated Adam in the beginning, they hated him, and they figured they had him in his, their power, and we're just going to destroy him right here in these pits of hell. But little did they know, the princes of this world didn't know this, that through his death, he would deliver us and set us free. And in verse 15 in the second chapter of Hebrews, it said, And deliver them that were through fear of death were all their lifetimes subject to bondage. But that's what Jesus had to do. I, I think about that and I, I meditate on that and it just pierces your, your heart, your spirit, as you begin to think how much love He has for us. And He says, God commended His love towards us or introduced us to His love and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Scarcely for a righteous man would one die. Yet preadventure for a good man one would even dare to die. But he died for ungodly sinners. Not a righteous man or not a good man. He died for ungodly sinners. That's what he did. And then over there in the second chapter of Ephesians, he said in verse 4, But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even while we were dead in sins, as he quickened us together with Christ, by grace are we saved. So imagine all that he went through up until this point. Imagine how low he humbled himself. 
And then we come to the place of his actual crowning as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You better believe it was a delight to the Father's heart to give him his throne and to crown him King of Kings, Lord of Lords, and to give him that new name that's above every other name. But I want you to read it with me in the book of Hebrews, the second, first chapter, beginning with verse 1. You know, I've read this, I don't know how many times I've read this over before I finally figured out that it's not the Holy Spirit just speaking through Paul, but it's the Father God actually speaking to Jesus in this first chapter. We'll pick it up here in verse 1 and I'll show you where uh, the Father starts to speak to Jesus, by His Son rather, whom He hath appointed heir, whom He hath appointed heir of all things. By whom also he made the world. Now, we already studied that. Now, look what he said here. Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things with the word of his power. When he had purged by himself, purged our sins. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Remember over there in Mark 16 where it says that Go ye on the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe in my name. So they cast out devils, speak with new tongues, take up serpents. If they drink any dead, the thing won't harm them. They shall lay their hands upon the sick and they shall recover. And after he had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat at the right hand of the Father. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. They went forth and preached everywhere. The Lord working with them, confirming his word with signs following. He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. That's where he was going. But here's what happened when he sat there. Let's read it. Being made so much better than the angels, as he hath by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. For under which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee. And again I will be a, to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again when he bringeth in the first begotten into the world, he saith, And let all the angels of God worship him. When we opened up the seminar, we talked about the fifth chapter of the book of Revelation. When John beheld and saw in the midst of the throne, and of the four beasts and elders, Angels round about that throne. And there was a great number of angels, 10,000 times 10,000, and thousands of thousands, say with a loud voice, and they were worshiping him and glorifying him and praising him. But we said that all that glory and honor and praise was going to the Father in chapter 4, towards the latter part of it. But when Jesus came on the scene, all that praise shifted over to Jesus, and everybody looked at him and said, Thou art worthy, O Lord. They sung a new song saying, Can you imagine what kind of an anthem broke out when they saw Jesus ascend and be seated at the right hand of the majesty on high after he just come from hell. Now John says, I saw a lamb as it had been slain. I saw him as he'd been slain. He probably saw all what the, that you, they saw on the cross. He saw him as he had been slain, a lamb in the midst of that throne. And it pleased the Father's heart to sit him on that throne at his right hand, the right hand of the majesty on high, and to crown him as King of kings and Lord of lords, and give him a name above every other name. And look what he said to him. In verse 6, well, let's, for, verse 5, For unto which of the angels said he at any time, Thou art my son, this day have I begotten thee, and again I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. And again, when he bringeth in the first begotten of the world, he saith, And let all the angels of God worship him. And of the angels he saith, Who maketh his angels spirits, and his spirits a flame of fire. But unto the Son, he saith, Thy throne, O God. This is the Father speaking. And he says to the Son, he said, Thy throne, O God, 
is forever and ever. He gives him a throne. He says, you're on the throne. Thy throne, O God. Don't you remember we said that that translation of that Greek word there for Lord is also God and Master? Lord, God, and Master. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore, God, even thy God, hath anointed thee, above, anointed thee with oil of gladness above thy fellows, and thou Lord. He calls him Lord. And thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thine hands. They shall perish, but thou remainest, and they all shall wax old as doth a garment, and as a vesture shalt thou fold them up. And they shall be changed, but thou art the same, and thy years shall not fail. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the thought of what he went through? But the Bible tells us the glory, the glory of it all is far greater than all the suffering we can go through down here on this earth. And the glory that was bestowed upon Jesus was far greater than all the suffering that he went through when he came to earth to die for you and I. Can you imagine that? There he is, on the throne. And the Father speaks to him and says, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. You've loved righteousness, you hated iniquity. Therefore, your, the number of your years shall never fail. In other words, confirming to him again, you're everlasting. Beloved, he says, I am he that liveth. Yes, but I was dead. I don't, how, I don't know how we can justify ourselves by saying that Jesus only died in the flesh. He, he died in spirit. Thy throne. He was lifted up to sit on that throne because of the fact he did die in spirit. I would like to keep emphasizing that, but we have to. I believe we've got to get that across because we've got to understand and know what Jesus actually did for us. If we're really going to understand in our hearts how much we should give our lives to him, and worship Him and put Him first in our lives and make Him Lord of our lives, we've got to understand what, how, how far Jesus went for you and for me when He gave His life on Calvary. But think about what He did. And because of it, He said, I'm alive forevermore, and now I hold the keys of death and of hell. And then over there in the book of Philippians, we were looking at that, and uh, we'll go over it again. You can turn to it if you like. Because of the fact that Jesus did all this, we find that the Father said, over here in, in Hebrews, He obtained an excellent name, more excellent than, all, than any of the angels. We find out also that He's called God, He's called Lord, and He's given a throne where He's reigning. His number of His years shall never fail. But over here in the book of Philippians, we find out that there was a name conferred upon Him in all three, above all, every name in three worlds. Because of what He did, He was highly exalted, and God hath given unto him a name which is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow of things or beings in heaven, things or beings in earth, things or beings underneath the earth. And every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Now we've got to grasp and, and understand what, what, what he's saying here. That lordship that was lost in the earth and turned over to the devil had to be won back. Through his victory over the devil. But also, it went further than that. It was more, it was, you know, more far-reaching than that. He had to go even into hell so he can have the power of death and hell. 
And he did. And that's why when he rose up fresh from his victory over the devil, he says, I have also the keys of death and hell. You say, well, what is that saying to you and to me? Well, that's saying namely this, that that name, when spoken through the lip of a believer, the lips of the believer, Satan and all his cohorts have got to bow to that name. He's got to bow to that name. Everything that belongs to his kingdom has got to bow to the name of Jesus on the lips of a believer. So he was highly exalted and crowned Lord of all and given a name that's above every other name that at the mention of that name, whether it be in heaven, earth, or under the earth, they must bow. That's including us also. But you know, it seems to me that these inanimate objects and the animal kingdom and the vegetable kingdom had more sense than a lot of people. When Jesus was raised up from the dead, we found out that the graves opened. We found out that all this earth began to quake and the mountains began to tremble and the rocks began to shout and cry out. They, they declared it and said, yes, Jesus Christ is Lord. But you know what the people said? Shh, don't tell anybody. Hush. Can you imagine uh, the prophets rising up from the grave and going to the city and telling everybody that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, he's alive and well, and they're trying to keep it a hush, not let anybody know? Why is man so foolish? Why has man become a fool? Now I know why Paul said by the Holy Ghost, if you want to be wise in this world, become a fool to the things of this world and be wise into the things of God. But here we see him made Lord, crowned, King of kings, Lord of lords, and with a name above every other name. And then the last part of this we find in Ephesians, the first chapter, and he's actually saying the same thing, but he goes one step further in verse 20. Which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all principality and power and might and dominion. Far above all principality and power and might and dominion. Remember, Adam lost his dominion. Satan took that dominion. But he's raised up above every power, might, and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. Not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head. Jesus became the head, or the Lord. Remember over there in uh, Genesis 3.15, where the prophecy came forth that enmity would be put between the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman, and he shall bruise your head, his head. Well, Jesus did that. He bruised his head. He took over his lordship. He took over that lordship and he won it back and he didn't do it for himself, he did, but he did it for you and for me. And in the last part of this we find out he put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things. And the la a better translation of those last few words is not to the church, but for the benefit of the church. Now, all that Jesus did, everything that was accomplished, and all the power that was vested in Him and given to Him, being Lord, He is supreme in all power and authority. And He's seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. All that was done for the benefit of the church. All that was done, not for His benefit. We said He was never subject to the devil. But all that was done for the benefit of you and me, the church, the body of Christ. Can't you see how the church is living so below that which has been wrought for us through Jesus Christ? Can't you see why Paul was praying over there and saying, For this cause, well, he says, I cease not to make mention of you my prayers, praying that the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, would give unto you the spirit of wisdom 
and revelation in the knowledge of Him, that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know the hope of His calling and what the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of His power to us. And what is the exceeding greatness of His power to us? What is the exceeding greatness of His power to usward who believe according to the working of His mighty power which He wrought in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His own right hand of the majesty on high, crowned Him King of kings, Lord of lords, supreme in all authority. And He says, And I did all this and put all things under your feet for the benefit of the church, the body of Christ. Oh, I don't believe we begin to see it. I believe we're living far below that which He's acquired for us, don't you? But blessed be God, we're on the upswing. I believe we're gaining more of this knowledge and understanding. Think about being supreme in authority and power. Notice that when Jesus was raised up from the dead and He secured this for man and He legally won that dominion back for man, that there's no way He can lose that dominion ever again because He's seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. He didn't entrust me with it. He didn't entrust Moses with it. He didn't entrust Abraham with it. He didn't trust anybody on this earth with it. He entrusted the man that liveth forever and ever to intercede for us and ever maketh intercession for us who is seated at his right hand. That's why he did it. So that we can never lose that dominion again. But beloved, I don't want to live on this earth without walking in, the, in, in, in this power. I don't want to leave this world system without leaving my mark as far as walking in the power over Satan and over all his cohorts and demons. We've got two choices now. Which brings us to our last phase of this, our last division which is, who is your Lord? We find out that our will is involved in making God's will through redemption. God's will through redemption was gaining back all the dominion and all the authority that Adam had lost. Our will is involved in making God's will our will so that we can walk in the fullness of this power. So we can walk in the fullness of all that He's done for us through Jesus Christ. So our question is, what are we to do now? Now, we answered the three questions. This is the fourth question. What am I to do? What am I going to do? Well, let's go to the book of Romans, the 10th chapter. What's left for me to do? How do I make God's will my will? What am I supposed to do now? Who is your Lord? And if you stop and think about it, I believe we've covered the whole plan of redemption in this study, in this seminar, to a certain extent. But if you stop and think about it, in this world system right now, we have two ways we can choose. We can choose to live under the leadership or the lordship of Jesus, or we can choose to live under the lordship of Satan. We can choose to live in life, or we can choose to live in death. So we find out that what the person has to do on this earth today to establish God's will, we find it here in Romans 10, chapter, verse 8. But what saith it, the word is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart, that is the word of faith which we preach, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord, or let's say it this way, if you shall confess with your mouth the Lordship of Jesus, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. 
Now, when a person makes Jesus Christ the Lord of his life, it means he is denouncing Satan's lordship. He's turning his back on Satan. Now, remember, even though we are... Even though Jesus legally provided redemption for us, it does not necessarily mean that everybody's going to have it. Now, that's legally the legal side of our redemption. Legally, we all can have salvation. We can all have His Lordship. But, not everybody's going to have that Lordship. Some people don't want to give up their life on this earth. Some people don't want to make Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of their life. You stop and think about how, stu- you know, if you, th- if you really think about it, how can we, being so-called intelligent people, be so ignorant? When the trees, when the stones cry out and declare His Lordship. But yet we got people walking around here on this earth today, and it's because of the darkness of their minds and blindness of their hearts, minds and hearts. They will not declare His Lordship. That won't make Him Lord. Even you tell them, you try to tell them, you beg them to make Jesus Christ Lord, they won't do it. You almost stop and think about it and wonder, was it really good that we got our own will? If God didn't give us our own will from the beginning, man would never have fall, fallen. But after Jesus did all that for us, we got those walking around saying, Oh, I got time, and I'm going to wait. Beloved, now is the hour of salvation. And if you didn't make Jesus Christ the Lord and Savior of your life the first time you heard it, then you better get in it and make Him Lord and Savior of your life. Because if He did all that for you, you best believe that judgment is coming to those that do not receive His Lordship. So we find out that we have to make Him Lord and Savior of our life. We have to reject Satan's lordship in the earth. We've got two ways we can live our lives. We can live under the lordship of Satan or live it under the lordship of Jesus. But you know what? When you're born again and you receive the life and the nature of God in you, and you know Jesus Christ been made your Lord and Savior, I, but beloved, I believe we should be able to walk in the high places. I believe we should be able to live under that authority. I believe that the, the authority, the supreme authority that Jesus has can be in the life of every believer can be made manifest in the life of every believer on this earth. I believe we have that authority. It's our authority. It delighted the Father's heart to give this honor to Jesus, but it was even a further delight to give us, His children, the power of His name. Now you realize and understand how much power is in that name. As you stop and think about all that what He did, leaving those three worlds and, and, and doing all that He did and going back to the, to the Father and to the bosom of the Father, if you stop and think about all that He attained and acquired... And that name that was conferred upon him. He did none of that for himself. He did it all for you and me. Have we ever begun to think how much power is in that name? Have we ever begun to taste how much power is in that name? Have we ever begun to use the power that's vested in that name when you make him Lord and Savior of your life? And I found out why in God's Word people have a hard time. First of all, let's look at this in Colossians, the first chapter, verse 13. When you make Jesus Christ the Lord and the Savior of your life, you are actually transferred into the kingdom of God. You are actually delivered from Satan's authority and power, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and translated us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. You are translated into His kingdom. You are actually delivered from the powers of darkness. I don't think we begin to understand with all our heart what it means to actually be delivered out of that kingdom. Now think about it. Adam was made Lord. He had that great dominion. He failed. Satan was made Lord. We know about his lordship. He was dethroned and defeated and brought to naught. Jesus was made Lord. Same world. 
Jesus was made Lord. The effect that Satan had in the heart of the believer, or heart of Adam and all the human race after that, was a mighty effect. But I cannot, as a born-again Christian, say that the work that was wrought in Adam's heart through Satan is greater than that which is wrought in our hearts through Jesus Christ. Beloved, I don't believe we've got to be defeated. I don't believe we've got to live below that authority and power. I do not believe we have to be overcome by sickness and disease. I do not believe that we have to be overcome by death and sin. You know, we ought to reign over sin in this life. You know, we ought to reign in kings in this life. Why? Are we somebody? No. But all that was wrought through Jesus Christ and the power of His resurrection is ours. And it is a greater work that was done in His life, in our lives, through Him. And that seed of life that was planted inside your spirit is far greater than the seed of death that was planted in Adam's. I believe that. I believe that with all my heart. But I found the answer in God's Word in, in uh, the book of Deuteronomy. Let's go to Deuteronomy, the 30th chapter. We've got to learn how to appropriate the ways of God on the earth. We've got to learn how to establish God's will on the earth for our lives and in our lives. Here, I think, is where we failed because of lack of teaching and misunderstanding. You know, we're born-again Christians. We're spirit-filled now. We, you know, we thank God for that. But we didn't realize and really know all that Jesus did. We didn't realize and know that He destroyed Satan and all his cohorts and powers. We didn't realize that He was made Lord of all. Oh, we may have known that and said that and quoted that, but did you really know what it meant? Did you really understand what it meant? Do you understand how far-reaching His Lordship is and how far, how far you know, it goes and, and how much territory it covers? Beloved, a person that truly from his heart is using the name of Jesus has the same dominion that he has over Satan and all his bunch. Now, I don't know about you, but I like that. I don't believe that he wants to see us a defeated church. I don't believe he wants to see us walking on this earth being subject to, to the one that he defeated and destroyed. And I believe he wants to see us walking. I mean, if you stop and think about the power that, this, that the uh, disciples had before Jesus actually died... When the 70 went out and said, you know, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. And he wasn't even dead. He didn't even accomplish all that he accomplished for us through Calvary. And his death, burial, and resurrection. And his seating at the right hand of the majesty on high. But they went out there and conquered the devil, sickness and disease, and etc., 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 etc. And they did it, you know. And Jesus says, I beheld Satan as, as lightning fall from heaven. And I bet you he just enjoyed doing that. He enjoyed doing that. But he, he's not just doing that any longer. He's done doing what he had to do. He has destroyed him. He has brought him to naught. He has been defeated. He is dethroned power. He's brought down to nothing and he's declining to his end. That's where he lies right now. And you and I have got more power than they had back then. Someone says that was for them. Yes, but blessed be God, all power and all authority has been given unto him in all three worlds. And he said that it's for the benefit of the church. For the benefit of the church. That's why I said go in all the world and preach this gospel. Lay your hands on the sick and they'll recover, cast out demons, speak with new tongues and do all these things. No deadly thing that you drink will harm, harm you in any way. That's why he said that. He says, because it's the power that's in my name. Think about the power that we have in that name. Have we ever began to walk in the fullness of it? In Deuteronomy, the 30th chapter, and verse 15, we find out that making Jesus Christ our Lord is part of... Establishing God's will on the earth, but also we must understand the ways of God on the earth. In the 30th chapter of the book of Deuteronomy, we begin reading with verse 15. See, I have set before thee this day life and good. Now, that wasn't there before. 
He couldn't get life back into this earth. He was limited back then because there were no seeds of life on the earth. Remember? We talked about it. And death and evil. In that I command thee this day to love the Lord thy God, to walk in His ways. Circle that. To walk in His ways. To walk in God's ways. And to keep His commandments and His, and his statutes and His judgments, that thou mayest live and multiply. And the, Now notice this. Doesn't that sound like the book of Genesis? They were to multiply on the earth, replenish the earth with godly seed. And the Lord thy God shall bless thee in the land whither thou goest to possess it. Notice everything that, they, that God did for them in the land that they went to possess was actually the opposite of the curse. Instead of having thorns and thistles and etc., etc., they had abundance. The land yielded the fruit. But if, in thine heart, but if thine heart turn away so that thou wilt not hear, but shall be drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I denounce unto you this day that you shall surely perish and that you shall not prolong your days upon the land. Whether thou passest over Jordan to go and to possess it, I call heaven and earth. I call heaven and earth to record this day against you. Even the earth knows that Jesus is going to do it, see? I call heaven and earth to record this day against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore choose life, that, thou, that both thou and thy seed may live, that thou mayest love the Lord thy God, and that thou mayest obey his voice, and that thou mayest cleave unto him. For he is thy life, and the length of thy days, that thou mayest dwell in the land which the Lord swear unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them. Now part of this is giving up your life. Remember we said that Jesus gave up his life, he denied himself of his glorious life to take on the life of flesh so that you and I could deny ourselves of our fleshly life and take on the life of glory. Do you remember that? Now think about what he's saying here about choosing, choosing the way you're going to go. Choosing life and choosing his ways. And go with me to Matthew's Gospel, the 16th chapter. Matthew 16 and verse 24. If we're going to follow the footsteps of the Master, we're going to have to do exactly what He did. We're going to have to humble ourselves. We're going to have to give up our lives. We're going to have to take up our cross. We're going to have to follow Him. We're going to have to deny ourselves of this earthly life. And one of the rewards for denying yourself the earthly life is the rewards of the life of the Spirit. When you deny yourself the life of the flesh, you will gain the life of the Spirit. And when you learn how to operate in His ways, then you will establish God's will in your life. And everything that God intended from the beginning shall be accomplished in your life. You think about this. The earth will bring forth fruit. I remember one fellow saying, well, Charles Camps actually did this, about his rice crop. He went out in the back in his fields back there. He planted his rice and he says uh, all this rain came and it was all soaking wet and, and all the crops began to rot out and their field, right in their field there, and all the fruit was destroyed, and etc., etc. All the all the neighboring farms and everybody else was having the same problem. Well, he got out his Bible and began to walk up and down the fields, all the way around, up and down them fields, with his Bible open up. And Malachi, he says, "I am a tither. I give, Lord." And he says, "You told me that my fruit would not be destroyed before their time." And what happened? You said that to me. You made that a promise to me. I'm a tither. I'm walking in your ways. And I believe that. And he walked up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. He says, I'm not going to plow this thing up again. He says, I believe your word is true. Beloved, he had power over that earth. He, he touched that realm. He was the only one in the area that had a, a crop of rice. Everybody else's was destroyed. But his grew. And another fellow. He was uh, 
a, a cotton farmer. And he was doing the same thing. He was out there in his backyard in the, in the fields out there. And he said, uh, all my cotton, same problem they had back there, all the cotton bowls wouldn't open. That's all he had was just a bunch of cotton bowls out there. It looked like hard, you know, just like golf balls. Well, what good is that? That's his livelihood there. That's his crop. And he says, you know, he says, Lord, he says, I'll tell you something. He says, I'm a tither. I, and your word tells me that since I'm a tither, I'm going to learn how to walk in your ways. If your word tells me if I'm a tither, that my fruit would not be destroyed before their time. And my crops would not be destroyed, you know, before they produce. He says, so I believe that your word is truth. And uh, he was out there with another minister of the gospel. And he says, as they, as they began to say it, as he began to quote that from the scriptures, from the word of God, he says, we start hearing just pop, 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 all over. And all of a sudden it sounds just like popcorn. All them cotton bowls just started popping and opening up. And as the wives were inside the, you know, the house over there, they looked out the window because they heard all this noise. And when they heard all that noise, they looked outside and they saw all the cotton bowls opening up just like that. Boom, pop, 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 pop. Looks like, sound like popcorn. And they started shouting and dancing and, and shouting, praising God. They ran outside and when they got out there, the two, the two fellows were out there dancing on the, in the field, just glorifying the Lord, walking up and down, dancing. Now, how about if they didn't act upon God's Word and upon His highways? Beloved, I believe we got power in the name of Jesus that we have never begun to use yet. But imagine those things happening because he says, I'm a tither, and the word says so. We've got to learn how to walk in his ways. In the 16th chapter, it starts right here. Verse 24. And then, Jesus, then said Jesus unto the disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. If we deny him, if we deny ourselves, rather, of this life, beloved, I mean, there's a lot to deny in this life. People don't like to give up things in this life. I'm not talking about just sin. I'm talking about pleasures of this life. There's a lot to give up in this life. But a person that says, I'm going to deny myself of this life and I'm going to take up the cross of Jesus Christ, I'm going to deny myself of the flesh life so I can take off the, on the life of the Spirit. Jesus gave up the life of the Spirit so He can take on the life of flesh so that He can redeem you and me so we can give up the life of the flesh and take on the life of the Spirit. Jesus gave up His righteousness to become sin so you and I could give up our sin and become righteous. Amen. Isn't that right? Jesus gave up His glory to be, take on shame so we can give up our shame and take on His glory. That's why I did all that. So He goes on to say here, we've got to deny ourselves, make Him the Lord and Savior of our life, and deny Himself. For whosoever will save this lower form of life shall lose it, and whosoever shall lose his lower form of life shall save it, or for my sake shall find it. Go over to the 10th chapter of the same Gospel. He's, Jesus is saying the same thing. Verse 38. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy. And he that loseth his life shall life for my sake shall find it. And really what he's saying, I think in the Amplified Bible, I'm not positive, but I think it says a lower form of life and a higher form of life. He that findeth his, his lower form of life shall lose the higher form of life. Or the higher ways of living. You see, living right now the way the world is in this system, in the world system... And even being a born-again Christian and being governed by this world system, you are living and governed by the lower form of life. You can't be born again and spirit-filled and still be living by the world system. You know that. But he said, if you'll give up this system and this world system of life and of living, he says, then what you'll do is you'll find a higher form of life. You'll find out the, the higher type of living, living in the spirit. And when you do it, you'll begin to appropriate all that I've established for you through this perfect redemption. Now go back to the book of Isaiah in the 55th chapter and I'll show you exactly what he's saying and talking about 
follow my ways. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Make Jesus the Lord of your life. Choose ye this day life or death, blessing or cursing. And he went on to say, follow my ways. Lord, love, love the Lord your God with all your heart and follow my ways. I think we've had so much religious tradition that people are off there quoting scriptures and misquoting scriptures saying that, you know, God's ways are beyond our ways. And all they're doing is taking scriptures out of context, which we're going to see right here. But he wouldn't say to follow my ways if we couldn't follow his ways, would he? And his way is the higher way. Look at what he said here. Verse 6. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way. His way. The way of the wicked is the way of the world system. Governed by the devil. The God of this world. Let the wicked forsake his way. And the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return unto the Lord. Return unto the Lord. You can return to the Lord now, beloved. Hallelujah. We can return back to the Lord. And he will have mercy upon him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, wicked one. You see what he's saying here? There are two ways in the earth. There's the way of the wicked, and there's the way of the Lord. And you know why? Well, let's remember over there in Proverbs 16, 25, where it says... There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the ends thereof are the ways of what? Choose ye this day, life or what? There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the ends thereof are the ways of what? See, there is a way in this earth, and this world system does have its ways. But the end of those ways are the ways of death and destruction and doom. And that's why a lot of Christians are failing in life, because they're walking by the standards of, of the lower life, those ways. I have nothing against, uh, you know, the medical field and, and, and financial institutes and that sort of thing, beloved, and, and we're all, I believe, should be growing out of it. But I believe we've got to start to learn how to use God's ways in these matters of life. Don't you? I mean, we've been doing that. And I know doing that. We, we make more of a commitment to ourselves every day to walk in God's ways. Beloved, we've been given a, a, an omnipotent name, a powerful name that has a rule and authority over all the worlds. That name is enough to get us by in this life. But we've got to find his ways and find out how his ways work. You know, he said over here, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. This is the higher way of life. Well, we found out that the world's way, the way of the wicked is the ways of what? Death. But Jesus said, I am the what? The truth and the what? Jesus is God's way to get us life. And that more abundantly. But I am the way. And which way did he come? He came by the way of heaven. Came down to the earth. He introduced us to the word. To the seed of life. Gave himself. Went back to, the, back to heaven. But he says, I am the way. You've got to follow me. You've got to follow me by the way. The same way. The same way I did it. You've got to have to do the same thing. What's he talking about? Denying yourself. Giving up your life on this earth. And seeking God with all your heart. And finding out his higher way of life. Denying yourself. Take up your cross and follow him in the way of life. Living by his ways and standards. Now over here he goes on to say, For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts and your thoughts. For as the rain cometh down and the snow from heaven, and returneth not thither, but watereth the earth, and maketh to bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Now remember something here. It's coming out of heaven to the earth. Now notice verse 11. So shall my word be. 
I've studied that many, many, many years. Last five years. And I always talked about that as, as I quoted it this evening before the service, before I even started to preach. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. But he's liking this word unto the rain coming out of heaven. Well, bless God, the, this, this witness to my spirit that not only is he talking about, well, yes, the word, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. But the first word that went forth out of his mouth was the word, the living word, Christ. He came out of heaven and he came down to the earth. He watered the earth with his word. Was he not the sower? Did he not sow seed? Didn't he? Well, let me ask you this. Did he come to the earth and accomplish that which he pleases and prosper in the thing whereunto he was sent? He was, wasn't he? So Jesus came down from heaven. Jesus is the word. And he came down from heaven, came on down to this earth, and he watered the earth, and he went off back into heaven, and he accomplished that what the Father pleased, and he prospered in the thing whereunto he sent it. And verse 12 says, For ye shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth before you in the singing, and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Now notice this. Instead of the thorn shall come up the fir tree, and instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle tree. What's he saying? He says, when I get the word down to you, when I get my life down to, into your, your heart, into your system, and you start to learn my ways, saith the Lord, and you start to learn my thoughts, saith the Lord, that's what he's saying to us, and you begin to appropriate and walk in this higher form of life, he said, instead of your ground producing the, the thorns and the thistles, he says, your, your ground is going to produce goods of fruit. Actually, what he's actually saying is, you can't change the whole world, but you can change your own atmosphere. And instead of living under the curse, bless God, you can live under the blessings. Your ground will be blessed. The fruit of your body will be blessed. All that you do will be blessed. There will be no lack. There will be no sickness. There will be no disease. There will be no death. There will be no sin. He's saying, you can destroy it in your life right now if you learn the higher ways. Well, that's a mouthful. But bless God, that's exactly what he came to accomplish. If we learn the higher way of life. Jesus referred to it again in Matthew 7. Let's take a look there in Matthew 7. If you stop and think about the power that we have. Jesus said you can speak to a sycamine tree. You can speak to any tree. Tree is subject to you now. Don't you often think about that? Don't you often meditate that? Man, you can speak to those trees in your backyard. You can speak to those crops that you put inside of your ground. You can speak to your children. You can speak to this. You can speak to that. God's Word, if you learn God's ways. And your ground will be blessed and not cursed. And he said over here in Matthew 7, verse 13 and 14, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way, the way, the way. Broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Because straight is the gate and narrow is the way. The way. God's way is narrow and straight. Straight is the gate, narrow is the way that leadeth into life. And few there be that find it. And I found out, beloved, in the church world today, that that's a true statement. There are few that be that find it. There are few that believe God's ways. There are few that begin to walk in the ways of God. And begin to understand how to walk by faith. And believe me, I, I believe with all my heart that faith, walking by faith in this earth and love is God's way in the earth. When he said, take up your cross, he said, take up love. And when he said, walk in my ways, he said, walk by faith. 
But in order for you to do that, you've got to realize what Jesus accomplished for you. You've got to understand that all those things that, that happened during the fall, through the redemption, the redemptive work of Jesus Christ, have been annulled. And you and I, although they're here, you and I can walk in the higher way. It's called the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. We can walk in that higher way. We can live in that higher form of life. We can live in that higher plane of living. And it's by love and faith. I know that with all the love in my heart. I understand that. I realize that. I'm not saying that we've been perfected in it yet. But blessed be God, we're on our way to being perfected in it. And that's why it's not, not time to turn ourselves away from faith and love. But on the contrary, it's time for us to get deeper into it. Never think that you've got it all and you know all, all, you know, all about God's ways. Stop and, and just begin to analyze all that Jesus did for you and realize that He has lifted us to a place that we can live above the curse that came during the fall. And I think the greatest truth of all of what we're saying this night is that Jesus being Lord over our life is Lord over sin. And sin will not, not again, does not have to again, reign over our hearts or our lives. And if you want to have everything else destroyed that the devil did in the fall in your life, I mean, sickness, disease, and all poverty, and lack, and all these things, I really firmly believe this in all, with all my heart. It's not as hard as we thought. You need to get rid of one thing in your life. Sin. I'm not talking about you've been delivered from it and, and you are redeemed from it. I'm talking about walking free from it. Beloved, you are servants to whom you yield yourself servants to be, whether to sin or righteousness, right? Whoever you're going to obey. And it was by sin death entered into the world, Right? And by sin, death, sickness, disease, and germ, all these things enter into the world by sin. In Christ, we are free from sin and spirit. As we perfect holiness in the fear of God, cleansing ourselves from, uh, from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, we perfect that holiness, we begin to walk free from sin. As we begin to walk free from sin, the Lordship of Jesus is reigning over our hearts. And as we walk in that perfect love, and in love there is no sin, then the wicked one cannot touch us. He has no power over us. We're free. That's my goal in life. My goal in life is to be able to walk. Not just touch it here and there. Not just grasp a little bit of it here and there. And I know that, you know, I've been asked the Father. I said, Father, do I present it in such a way that it seems like as though it's unattainable? Should we not shoot for this goal in life? You know how easy it would be to just turn from this way and to turn our backs? I mean, to tell you, there are many times you'd like to quit. I mean, there are many times when sickness tried to attach itself to your body, you just wanted to lay down and be sick. There were many times when uh, bills gathered around your house that you just wanted to say, well, forget all this business, dear God, what am I going to do? And not hold fast to your confession of faith. There are many times that you yielded and didn't have to yield and you keep saying, dear God, what's the use of even, you know, walking in love and by faith? And it seems like as though you just want to give up. But then we hear what Jesus did for us again. Then we begin to understand and know that we can grow into a place of spiritual maturity. And we also know that, that if we don't walk this way, we'll never attain to it. We'll never grow. We'll never get any further off in, in spiritual things than we are right now. There are many, beloved, that have given up the higher life so they can have their ears tickled. So that they can be entertained. I have nothing against playing and, and music. 
But I don't believe that that's God's best in the sense that that should be above the Word and above us walking in, in, in his, his Word, His ways, and His life and in, in that name. I believe we need to diligently study God's Word and, and begin, just go over this and over this and over this until we get this so developed inside our human spirits, beloved, that we begin to walk on this earth as the Son of God walked on this earth. And it's the only way we're going to be able to do it is by fully understanding God's higher way of life. Amen? How many of you are willing to do that? You want to do that? I know you all had an opportunity to quit, but bless God, I don't want to quit. I'm not a quitter. Are you? Bless God, no, we're not quitters. We're lovers. Love never fails. Love doesn't quit. It endures all things. It bears upon everything that comes. Is Jesus Christ the Lord of your life? Well, what does this crowning, being crowned Lord of all mean to you? Every individual at the sound of my voice, especially those that have heard all these sessions, and really are grasping what was said. And I'll tell you what. I know myself, and I may have been the one that preached it, but I know myself. What we said last night about Jesus' suffering and humility and victory, it's far out there. Oh, I know. I know that I know what he did. But bless God, do you really know in your heart what he did? Are you living up to what he did? I can't even begin to think the extreme he went for us. But I know this. Romans 8.32 says, He that spared not his son, but did deliver him up for us all, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? And I know that if he was willing to do that for me, that right now he's willing to show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness towards us. Beloved, if Jesus is the Lord of your life, then it means all supremacy, all authority, supreme in power, that's vested in that name, is yours to use in this world system against Satan, his cohorts, and everything that sin brought into the world. Death, disease, calamity, cursings, everything. And I believe that we could let Jesus reign as Lord in our hearts, don't you? Well, let's all stand before the Lord. Thank you for listening to our legacy teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.